It's hard to believe four weeks goes by so quick. We've come to the end of our series on remaining in Christ. And we said that Jesus is the... Oh, my goodness. Did we, did we, did we learn anything here? Jesus is the... Oh, good. Phew. Uh, and we are the... And the Father is the... And we are supposed to produce fruit. Oh, phew, we got it. Excellent. Okay, so in case you don't know anything about this, it's John 15. If you haven't read it yet, please do. My, uh, my favorite fruit, raspberries. Love raspberries more than any fruit. Um, there's a lot of uh, close seconds, but this one's the best. Every single morning, I have a piece of toast with a layer of peanut butter and a layer of raspberry jam. The best, best fruit in the world. I can remember as a child, my grandmother had a garden with lots of raspberry bushes. And I'll tell you, oh, to go picking raspberries, I, I, I'm sure that I ate more than I actually put in the bowl. Uh, but uh, I did my best. But I tell you, I love a bowl of fresh raspberries with cream and brown sugar on it. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> no. If you don't like raspberries, then be quiet. <laughs> no, I just kidding. Oh my goodness, it's the best. And you know what? Sometimes, uh, still, if I can, if I can buy fresh raspberries, I do. Uh, problem is, is that raspberries per ounce is about the same price as gold, so <laughs> we don't really go there too often. But when I can get them, oh my goodness! So anybody's picking raspberries this summer, if you have any left over, just uh, let me know. Love raspberries, just absolutely love them. Uh, my mom used to can raspberries. We, we, oh, we had an abundance of raspberries. And what we would do in the wintertime is we'd pull out uh, Sunday nights. We were kids. We'd go to church in the morning, go to church at night, come home after church, have grandpa and grandma over and around the table. Mom would serve these uh, beautiful raspberry preserves with uh, toast. Oh, I know it doesn't, doesn't maybe appeal to you, but man, those are great memories from my childhood. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, I think every garden should have... Well, I think my grandmother's garden should have just had raspberries. Get rid of the carrots and the beans and, and you know, the stuff that nobody really likes, right? Boy, speaking of Delson, no vegetables for him. But anyway, uh, uh, raspberries. Mm. Now, look, we're talking about the grapevine. Jesus is the grapevine. I don't really know anything about grapes or uh, vineyards, but I do know about this. And I do know that... that if a gardener is going to go through the effort of planting uh, any kind of fruit or vegetable, there's got to be produce. There's got to be something that comes out of the effort. So here's what you and I need to understand today. God, God declares that we have been appointed or chosen. We learned that last week. We've been appointed or chosen by God to produce fruit. And the question is, are you? Are you producing fruit? I have a friend I met in in Greece. Actually, he's a Welsh pastor, and uh, and we got talking, and 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 he actually became something of a mentor for me over the years. And uh, uh, one of the great things that he taught me as a young pastor is the importance of knowing who in your congregation is actually converted. Who is actually born again? 
say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? If you go to church, doesn't that make you a Christian? Some people think that. They think as long as I go to church once in a while, I go, I go Christmas, I go at Easter, you know, I'm good. But here's, 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 what, here's what Bruce taught me. He said, Alan, it's really critical. If you're going to properly make disciples, if you're going to properly teach people how to follow Christ, you've got to know whether they're converted or not, whether they're born again or not. And he told me about the first church that he went to uh, in Tredegar. It's a, one of the valleys of Wales. And I, I would be bowled away if anybody had ever heard of that before. But anyway, a little, 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 nice little town. And he said he was called to the church, and when he got there, he discovered that almost nobody in that church was converted. And I say, when you, when you say nobody, uh, what do you mean by that? He said, most of the elders were not converted. Most of the people who were running the church not converted. Most of the Sunday school teachers were not converted. He says, but the good news is that after hearing the gospel preached, and over time, and after I, once, I, once, once, once they heard the truth and were challenged, then one by one, they start getting converted. There's a few that got angry and left the church because they didn't, they didn't believe this, they didn't want to hear this, they, didn't want to, they don't want to surrender to this. What you and I need to understand is there's a lot of people going to church who are not believers. They believe in God. James, you know what James has to say about that? He said, well, even the devil, even demons believe in Jesus. They believe in God and they tremble. The question is this, have you been converted? Has your life been transformed by Jesus Christ? Because there's a lot of people who've been baptized are not converted. There's a lot of people who've been through catechism, not converted. Some of you as babies were baptized, but you're not converted. What has to happen, my friends, is that you and I need to understand what it means to be born again. What does it look like when a person is converted? And the way that Jesus explains it to us in John chapter 15 is that somebody who's truly converted, somebody who's truly connected to Christ, produces fruit. Produces fruit that will last for eternity. So what I want to do for you today is, first of all, I want to show you how to produce fruit. How can you produce fruit in your life? And the second thing that I want to do is I want to, I want to hopefully, hopefully help you understand what the fruit that Jesus is looking for actually is, because a lot of people don't know that. So let's begin by talking about how to produce fruit in your life, because some of you sitting here this morning may actually be wondering, well, maybe, maybe I'm not converted. Uh, over the years, uh, I, I believe all a person had to do is just say a sinner's prayer, and it's, it's over. How many understand that Jesus says, but I chose you? Some of us think that this is something that, this is a club we decided to join. I, you know, we can join the Rotarians, we can join AA, we can join uh, all kinds of clubs and programs. But how many understand that being a Christian is not joining a club? Becoming a Christian means that you are born again. You've become a brand new creation. The old you is dead. There's a brand new you living. So standing before you is the new Alan. Someone said yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The old Alan died many years ago. This is the new Alan standing before you. Am I perfect? Not yet. But I can tell you this. 
God's working on me. He's transforming me. He's helping me produce the fruit that he's looking for. So here's the thing this morning. Uh, Are you trying to do this Christianity thing in your own energy, your own steam? Because some people approach it like, well, this is a religion, and I have to go through all all the motions. Hey, I don't know if you noticed it. Some of you may be from different Christian traditions, but you'll notice we don't have incense in the house. There's no incense. There's no bells ringing, no crosses on the wall, no holy pictures. There's no icons. There's nobody's carrying rosaries in their pocket. Nobody's genuflecting. <laughs> None of that going on. I knew Adam would like that. You say, well, what kind of a church is this? In fact, I had somebody say that. There's not even a cross here. What kind of a church is this? Let me tell me, I got to inform you what's going on here. Our faith, it's all about what's inside. The rest are props. And for some people, it's actually a substitute for real Christianity. Now, look, I'm not judging or condemning anybody. But in case you're wondering why we do what we do here, this is why. Because faith is internal. It's inside. It's an inside job. It's something, it's an expression from your heart. There's too many people that have this notion of this idea. As long as I'm going through all the motions and have the holy pictures on the wall and crosses and crucifixes in every room and and incense and candles burning, then we know that something religious is going on. And God would say, eh, you're wrong. Real Christianity, my friends, is an inside job. It's something that's internal. And if you are converted, folks, and living the Christian life, it has nothing to do with these external trappings. The only thing that's external for the believer is fruit. So how do we produce it? I'm glad you asked that question. There's only one way, and that's to remain in Christ. Look at this verse here, John 15, 1-2. Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Wow. I'm going to tell you, this is totally consistent with everything Jesus taught. God expects us to be productive believers. In other words, to take what he's given us and to, and to increase it. You say, Pastor, are you sure of that? Yeah, that's exactly what he taught. Remember, one guy got five talents, one got three, one got one. The guy that got five, he doubled his, and Jesus says, way to go. Man, you are you're going to be blessed like crazy. And the guy that produced double three, went to six, he was blessed. The guy that had one, eh, I'll just bury it. And when, when, he, when Jesus, when my master returns, I'll give it back to him. And Jesus scolded him. Why? Because Jesus expected that man to produce. Now, can I just remind everybody of something this morning? To whom much is given, much is required. Listen, Jesus, if you're a believer here today, if you're not a believer, maybe today will be the day you'll give your heart to Christ and you'll be transformed. But if you are a believer today, you need to understand you have been chosen to produce fruit, and to produce even more. And some of you right now are in the process of being pruned. 
And you know what that feels like? It's not always comfortable. It's difficult. In fact, sometimes it just downright hurts. And what's God doing? Does it mean that he doesn't love you? Pastor, I've been praying. God hasn't answered my prayers because I'm going through difficulty and struggle. And I'm, gonna, I'm saying, well, hold on a minute here. You're blaming the devil and you're blaming God. But how did you ever think that maybe God is doing a work in your life? Rubbing off the rough edges, cutting away those branches that are sucking the life out of you, those things that are a distraction to you, God's cutting them out of your life. So you'll be focused on him and producing what? More fruit. Even more fruit. Wow, what rich language. Okay, so here's the thing. You and I don't have the ability to produce fruit on our own. Because I know some of you think, well, I'm trying to be more patient, and I'm trying to be more humble, and I'm trying to be more loving. I'm trying to be more gentle. I'm trying to have patience. But Jesus says, no. Without me, you can do nothing. I mean, you could try. You can fake it. Uh, You can work hard at, at being a good Christian. But the fact of the matter is, there's only one way that you can produce, listen to this, authentic fruit, real fruit. Fruit that everybody knows is real. And that is by remaining in Christ. Look at this. Remain in me, Jesus says, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed. What does that mean? Cut off. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So the fact is, is that nobody here today can produce fruit unless they are remaining in Christ. And you say, Pastor, I, I get it, I get it, but how? How do I remain in Christ? What do I need to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. This is something that we teach here across church over and over and over again. We teach people how to follow Jesus. We teach you how to be real disciples. Sadly, when I went to Bible school, there was no course on how to make disciples. Nothing. There's no course in that. And just before the second service here, I was meditating on this, and I thought to myself, really? You know, the Bible colleges give out degrees, you know, a Bachelor of Ministry, Bachelor of Preaching, a Bachelor of Religious Education, whatever. For for somebody who's going to do ministry, here's what the bachelor should be. It should be a Bachelor of Discipleship. But you're not going to see that anywhere. In fact, most Bible schools don't actually have a course on discipleship, how to make disciples. Because we still don't understand that this is the bottom line. This is what church is all about. This is why you come to church and hear preaching. This is why you send your kids to the Sunday school. It's because we are in the business of making disciples. We're in the business of teaching people how to follow Jesus. And so the first thing that we teach you, if you're going to be a a follower of Jesus Christ, it's absolutely critical that you have a daily walk with God, that you do devotions. Don't know what that means? That you pray and read your Bible every day. Don't know what that means? It means you're having a conversation with God. Your heart is connecting with the heart of God. You have to do that. I'm going to tell you this right now. You are going to get into trouble in your marriage, in your family, at work, you are going to fall into temptation if you don't have a daily walk with God. Pastor Allen, how do you know this? 
I know it from experience. I know that if I am not having a daily walk with God, if something happens where I have to miss, then right away I find myself in a bad frame of mind. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You know that when your heart hasn't connected with the heart of God, that's the beginning of problems. That's when things start falling apart. And why is that? Because when you and I remain in Christ, that's when our heart is connected to God. And listen, that is when we are most like Jesus. Because when we walk with Jesus, we become like Jesus. For some of you, you haven't read, or read your Bible or prayed for, for days, some for weeks, maybe some for months. I'm not judging or condemning you here, but this is the wonderful thing about coming to church, that the Holy Spirit shows up here and teaches you and reminds you and shows you what you need to do. He said, I don't want anybody feeling judged or condemned here. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to be on fire and get excited and realize, hey, oh, this is what's going on. This is why I'm having problems. I haven't been maintaining my walk with God. That's the start of it. You have to have a daily walk with God. Now, for some, some would think, well, that's all I need to do. Well, you would be wrong. That's not all you need to do. Remember, we're teaching people how to follow Jesus, not how to follow Alan. We're teaching people how to follow Jesus. What else did Jesus do? Well, first of all, we know that he had a daily walk with God. We read that in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early, when it's very early in the morning, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place where he prayed. He met with the Father. His heart connected to God. That's what you need to do. Because Jesus did it. What's the second thing you need to do? You need to be going to church every week and not miss. Pastor Allen, don't you think that's a bit extreme? Well, look it. If you think that you're stronger and smarter than Jesus, well, you know, I don't know what to say to that. But I do know this. The Bible says clearly that Jesus met at the synagogue or at the temple every, every Sabbath. And it says this. It says, as, it, as was his habit. It was his discipline. It's what Jesus did. So if Jesus needed to do that, do you really think that you can actually live this life that Jesus has called you to do, that if you don't do what he's doing? Look, I, I, I've seen this so often. Uh, it's not always the case, but it's a rule of thumb. If a, if a person misses two or three weeks of church, then what happens is it takes a long time for them to come back again. Because why? Not because they're bad. Look, there's no judgment, right? I'm not judging or condemning anybody here, but it's because you're out of the habit. You've lost the discipline. And if you want to remain in Christ, you first of all need to have that daily walk with God. But secondly, you need to meet with, hey, what's another name for the church? The body of Christ. Ah, there's something supernatural about the gathering of God's people. In fact, Jesus himself says, whenever two or more of you are gathered together in my name, I'm there. You're remaining in Christ when you connect in church every Sunday. We worship together. We, we encourage each other. We have a cup of coffee together. We fellowship. We connect. We, we, we are reminded that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. And this is why in countries like China, 
and, and, and Russia during the, during the years of communism where people risked their lives to be together with other believers because they knew that it was critical, it was essential that they meet together so that they could remain in Christ. You say, Pastor John, is that it? Is that it? No, there's one more thing you need to do. What's the first thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry? He started a small group. I'm going to tell you, my small group is, is really a, an amazing small group. Because when we get together, we pray together, we encourage each other, sometimes we, we cry together, we worship God together, we hold each other accountable, we study the Word together, we get ideas. At our last small group that met last Sunday night, I got, a, I got an idea for a sermon series. Something very special happens when you connect. You keep each other connected. This is what it means to remain in Christ. So here's the thing. These are not my ideas. These are, this, is, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And my job, in case you want to know, is to teach you how to do what Jesus did. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. What's, what, is, what does God want for you and for me? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. The only way that I know how to help you conform to the image of Jesus is by teaching you to do what Jesus did. Now, that's how we remain in Christ. It's critical, it's critical that you have a daily walk with God. It's critical that you go to church every Sunday. It's critical that you be in a small group where you are being challenged, encouraged, where you can't hide behind the facade you just let, the, let your guard down and be known and, and be cared for and to be transformed and actually care for others. So what kind of fruit then, Pastor Alan? What kind of fruit does God want me to produce in my life? Well, uh, I, I just want to remind you, um, the, the Jews... They have 613 laws that they have to keep. I don't know if you knew that, but every Jew knows that. 613 laws. Jesus comes along, and he challenges that assumption. And he's saying, yeah, you know, the 613 laws, just forget about that. (gasps) Really? Forget about the 613 laws? Yes, yeah, forget about the 613 laws and all of the other, other uh, sub-laws that are connected to it. And I'm telling you, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands. In fact, anybody that looks at that thinks, I can't do this. And if you're saying that this morning, well, you would be right. You can't. I can't. I, can't. I couldn't. So what's the answer? How do we live this life that pleases God? How do we produce this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because this is precisely what the, what the prophets, the Jewish prophets were looking forward to. The day when everything would change. And here's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the new covenant. This is God speaking. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. What's going on here? Well, of course, they're looking forward to the day, first of all, when Jesus will come and establish that new covenant. But he's also looking forward to the day when the Holy Spirit would come and dwell within every believer. Now, folks, listen. Yeah, I say, woo, too. (laughs) I got chills going down my arms and my legs at the moment. When you are truly born again, when you are truly a Christian, I'm not talking about being religious and going through all the motions and playing with your rosary. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit coming and living within you. When that happens, that's when the transformation begins. Because now what's happening is that you are connected to Jesus, who is divine, and now Jesus, his life, his will, is working in you and through you. So now, not only do you keep the 613 laws, but you're keeping a lot more. In fact, you're not just keeping those laws, you're keeping the spirit of those laws. Pastor Allen, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says don't murder, right? I remember when we had a baptismal service, oh, 25 years, 30 years ago, at the first church that I pastored, and I was a youth pastor, and a lady was being baptized, and and my father-in-law, who was a pastor at that time, says, would you like to give a testimony before I baptize you? And she went on to say how she had murdered many people. We have a murderer in our church. And uh, she never did explain what she meant by that or who these people were. It turns out what she was talking about, well, you know, if you, if you know the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of, Yeah. And that's what she was talking about. Listen, when the Spirit of God dwells within you, not only do you keep all the laws, but you keep the spirit of all those laws, and then a lot more. You, You produce fruit, fruit that will last for eternity. So what's the fruit? First of all, obedience to Jesus Christ. You'll obey Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You've heard this one before, haven't you? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you don't love me, you won't. It's it's the evidence. It's the proof. It's the fruit that shows that you love Jesus. What what does a person who loves Jesus do? Totally unselfish. Others first. Turn the other cheek. Pastor, how many times do I have to turn my cheek? Until you're out. Whoops. Until you're out of cheeks, I don't know. How many times do we we turn the other cheek? How many times do we forgive? Jesus says, eh, let's go for 70 times 7. In other words, forgive every time. Go the extra mile. Hey, if someone asks for your outer cloak, give them your inner cloak as well. Why not? Somebody needs money and you've got it within your power to help them, give it to them. Oh, man, who can live like this? This is a hard religion. I see, that's the problem. For a lot of people, they think it's a religion. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's nobody here in this room that can live like Jesus. It's impossible. That, my friends, is why it's critical 
that you're born again. It's, this is why it's critical. This is not something that you choose. It's not something that you do. Jesus says, I have chosen you. I have appointed you to produce fruit. You can't do it on your own. This is the evidence that you are connected to Christ, that you are remaining in Jesus. So you're praying and reading your Bible every day. You're going to church every Sunday, and you're in a small group. That's just the beginning of it. So many more ways to help us remain in Christ. But man, those are the, those are the critical elements. Well, what else do I have to do, Pastor Alan? So obey Jesus and everything he's commanded? Hey, if you want to know what Jesus has commanded, read the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus takes the, 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 the Ten Commandments, he takes the, the laws of the Old the 613 laws, and then he refines it and shows you what you're going to produce if you are connected to Jesus. The second thing that you need to understand is that uh, Jesus wants you to be a witness, to tell others about Christ. Let me just quickly show you that verse. Before Jesus left the planet, he called his disciples around and said, okay, here's, here's, here's the game plan, guys. Let's huddle. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Doing what? Telling people about me everywhere. Where? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, Burundi, well, throughout the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. Now, here's where so many people struggle. Because I remember when I became a Christian, and that was the first thing, you have to go tell people about Jesus. I thought, well, I can't preach a sermon. I'm only, I'm only 10. Some of us think we need to be apologists, and when people say there's contradictions in the Scripture, we think we need to be able to answer those questions. Look, I just want to just put everybody's mind at ease. Don't panic. Don't worry. You don't have to preach any sermons. You don't have to be an apologist. An apologist is somebody that doesn't apologize for the Scripture, but <laughs> an apologist is somebody who defends the Scripture. You don't, need to, you don't have to worry about that. If you can do it, great, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. What's he saying? Go tell people about your relationship with me. Go tell people how your life has changed because Jesus has come into your life. Well, when my parents became Christians, everything changed. Everything changed. Everything improved. Everything was better. Wow. I had no no problem telling people about Jesus. Hey, when, when I became a Christian, I felt like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. I had no guilt, no shame. My sin was gone. I'm washed clean. Some of you are sitting here today feeling so guilty, so full of shame, and you don't need to. Hey, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm witnessing. I'm witnessing to you. I'm telling you what, different, what a difference it makes when Jesus comes into your life. Hey, you know what? This is a great story. John chapter 9. When you get a chance to read it, you have to read it. So in John chapter 9, there's a guy who's blind, can't see a thing. Jesus, I hear, I hear Jesus is around here, and he's crying out for mercy, and Jesus bends over, picks up some mud. And he wipes it on the guy's eyes. Now some of you are thinking, ew. Hey, if you're blind, bring it on. And suddenly he can see. Now the Pharisees, Pharisees, it's so typical. 
exactly what happened to you, sir? Well, I couldn't see anything. Somebody spit in some mud and wiped it on my eyes. And the Pharisees asked this man, well, what do you think about this guy? And the guy says, well, obviously he's a prophet. And the Pharisees, well, we, we beg to differ with you. We think he's a sinner. We think he's an evil man. The blind man who was healed says, well, how so? Well, he healed you on the Sabbath. That's a holy day. If he's healing you on the Sabbath, what is he doing? He's working. You mean healing people on the Sabbath is work? Well, he made mud. Isn't that like making concrete? The blind guy says to these Pharisees, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say to you. But here's what I do know, this, this blind man says. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And the Pharisees are too stupid to get it. And they go at him again. Well, are you sure about this? And the blind man, he's so funny, he says, do you guys want to become disciples too? Shut up, you wicked, evil sinner. The blind man went away, healed and whole. The Pharisees went away, empty, desolate, left in their sins. Hey, Jesus says, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you and go be my witnesses. So here's the thing. This is fruit, folks. When the Spirit of God is in you, and, and you have opportunity to share with other people what Jesus has done for you, don't give me any sermons. Just go and share what Jesus has done for you. Is your life better because you're a Christian? It is, right, Shelley? I know mine is. Is your life better? Go tell people. There's people out there starving for this information. And I can tell you this. Everybody who is born again can't help it. They want to go be witnesses. They want to go tell people about, my, about Jesus. My dad was saying to me the other day, I'd say, I'm telling people about Jesus, but this is, it's so, sometimes discouraging because it seems like there's no fruit. Huh, can I just remind you of something? You telling people about Jesus is the fruit. People getting saved, that's God's fruit. When people are born again, that's something that God does. I can't save anybody. I can't make anybody born again. Everybody understands that? I can try to persuade them. I can twist their arm. I can tell funny jokes, and I can get them to come around to my way of thinking, and then I'll get them to say a sinner's prayer, and now they're saved. That's not how it works. Jesus describes it in John 3 so beautifully. It's mysterious. It happens. and Suddenly you realize, wow, I am a brand new Christian. I am born again. Our job is just, just to be witnesses. There's one more thing I've got to share with you, and this is stuff you already know, because uh, we talk about it all the time. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get it right? 
Yeah, that's going to be evident in your life. And I remember I said this last week or a couple of weeks ago. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Alan, I'm pretty good at the joy thing, but I'm not very good at the patience thing. I'm working on that. And, and I'm, not, I'm not too bad at the, at the gentleness thing. Faithfulness, mm, but I'm, I'm working on it. Look at, look at, look at. You can't produce any of this on your own. I don't care how hard you work on it. You can maybe fake some of it for, for a while, but you can't produce this fruit in your own strength or in your own wisdom, your own power. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Did you see that? That's what it says. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit that I produce on my own. It's the fruit that's produced because I'm connected to Jesus, because I'm remaining in Christ, because I'm praying and reading my Bible every day, because I'm going to church every Sunday, because I'm in my small group. And there's other things too, but these are the three biggies. That's why I'm producing fruit. <laughs> I have this habit of, I've, I've got two sons, Jesse and Nicholas. This is not difficult, but apparently it's difficult for me. Because I always call Jesse, I call him Nick Jess. And then when it comes to Nicholas, it's Jess Nick. So I have one son over here, his name is Nick Jess. And the other son who's teaching in transit right now, that's Jess Nick. So the Jesse and Nicholas were, were ganging up on me yesterday, <laughs> teasing me. And Nicholas says, Dad, you need to put a rubber band on your arm. And every time you make a mistake, just do this. <laughs> Some people have this approach to producing fruit in your life. You know what? You can snap the bands all you want. You can try hard. You can get people to remind you. You can wear reminders, and it's not going to work. The only way that you're going to produce the fruit that God wants in your life is by remaining in Christ. So we've learned that the fruit that Jesus wants in our life is we need to be obedient to Christ. We need to be living out this life in obedience to Christ, doing whatever he says as the Holy Spirit prompts us. And you know when the Holy Spirit prompts you, taps you on the shoulder, don't do that. Don't look at that. Turn that off. Turn the channel. Close your computer. Keep your mouth shut. You're gossiping. Shut your mouth. Bad attitude. Put a smile on your face. Obedient to Christ. Witnessing for Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit. Folks, listen, this is not a checklist where you go home, oh, you know, I've got that one right, and I've got this one right, I've got to work on this one. You can't do that. You don't grow. Look at you ever see you ever see grapes grow one at a time? It's not how it works. You produce fruit because you're connected to the vine. Now here's what here's what the Apostle Paul says here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they've crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And I can tell you this, if you are born again, here's what I know is going on in your life. The Holy Spirit is leading you. And every time you're about to say something or do something that is contrary to God's will, the Spirit of God's going to poke you. And everybody who's a believer here today knows exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and and say, "Uh uh-uh, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't go there. Don't think that. Change your attitude. The Spirit of God is going to say, say sorry. Oh, do I have to do that? Yeah, say sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Apologize. Turn the other cheek. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life. 
How do we know that we have, when we've nailed our passions and the desires of our sinful nature to the cross, how do we know when we've crucified them there? I'll tell you how. You're obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You are following exactly what God wants you to do. You know, there's so, many, there's so much fruit I could talk about. You know, you know that the fruit of the Spirit that we, we look at in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that's, that's not an exhaustive list. In other words, there's so many more that we could add. In fact, if we had time, we could sit here and brainstorm probably hundreds of things that could be added to that list, like humility and faithfulness, dependability, loyalty, commitment. This is fruit of the Spirit. But there's one more. And next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Listen, as it leads us up to Easter. Listen. I've called it love in motion. The reason I call it love in motion is because really, what, what clearer way can we demonstrate to somebody that we love them than by listening to them? I had a Bible college professor, his name was Dr. Ron Kidd. He was really a, a remarkable Christian. He was an excellent teacher, professor, but put that aside for a moment. He was an excellent Christian. He was very educated, brilliant, brilliant mind, written book, books, Dr. Kidd, educated at St. Andrews in Scotland, you came to him and talked to him, it was like every, the whole world came to a halt because now he's looking you right in the eyes and he's listening to every single word you're speaking. And if you're having a hard time communicating what's in your heart, what you're thinking, then he's helping you and he's helping to finish the sentence. You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this man loved you. He made you feel loved. He made you feel that you, were, you, were, you had great worth and great value. I'm going to tell you right now, listening to the people in your life might be one of the greatest signs that you love them. One of the things that I find very distressing in this generation, and I'm sure it was in the past, but I'm noticing it more now, people don't listen. While you're talking, they're talking. Have you noticed that? While you're, while you're pouring out your heart, they're distracted and looking at something else and talk, not listening to you, talking above you, over you, under you, around you. They're not listening to a word you're saying. In fact, I've been at a table full of people and everybody's talking at once. And it's like, how, does anybody, how do we know what anybody's saying and feeling and thinking? Look, I know sometimes we're just having fun and everybody's just, you know, spitballing and come out of all kinds of it, whatever. When it comes time to have a conversation, to talk, we're pouring out our hearts to one another, we listen. And we don't interrupt. And we don't, we don't wait. You know, some people like this, I wish they'd stop talking so I could get in my thoughts. Real love wants to connect with the other heart. And the only way you're going to do that, first of all, is by listening to what's in the heart of the other person. It's the beginning of loving relationships. And can I tell you this? Without relationship, without, a, 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 without communicating with one another, there is no relationship. 
And so I'm going to tell you right now, listening, absolutely, fruit of the Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Father, for teaching us, first of all, how to remain in Christ. And secondly, how to produce that fruit that pleases you. And God, we know that you're busy at work in us, pruning us and making us even more productive. God, that's what we ask for. We're longing for that. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Enable us, oh God, to be godly, fruit-producing Christians. God, for any here this morning who are not yet born again, who have not yet put their faith in Christ, God, may this be the day of full surrender, of acknowledging that God loves us. So God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me.